Hello and welcome to the Folklore Scotland podcast. Every two weeks we're going to be bringing you the best of Scottish folklore. Folklore Scotland is a charity founded to protect and preserve Scottish folklore through taking a multimedia approach to compiling and sharing folktales, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Folklore Scotland podcast. We are going to be talking about um, changelings this week. For some more changeling content, uh, Rosie and Cathy also spoke about Wapte Spduri a couple of weeks ago, so you can check out that as well. Uh, today we have myself, Rebecca. Uh, me, David. And me, Graham. Woo. And Rasheen uh, will also be giving us a little insight into what the changeling is so we'll go into that now just a little trigger warning for child abuse there will be a time in the show notes that you can skip to to avoid that mention if you wish first let's answer the big question what are changelings This particular legend can be found in the folklore of most countries in the world. It tells of how beautiful young human children are spirited away by fairies, with evil fairy children being left in their place. There is no one unique descriptor for a changing child. Most commonly, they are described as being restless, unable to speak, and with enormous appetites. There are, however, more definite descriptions to be found. For example, Sir Walter Scott once wrote of a child who appeared healthy, yet was unable to walk or stand, with limbs smaller than an infant's of six months. The child's neighbours were certain he was a changeling. People went to great lengths to avoid the changeling curse. Beliefs varied from place to place, and seemed to depend on the interpretation of local spiritual leaders. For instance, Some towns from northeast Scotland ascribed the idea that oak and ivy cut in May, woven into wreaths, and then left to dry, could prevent babies from being kidnapped if the child was passed through the wreath circle three times. Another common idea was to hang iron around the cradle, based on the idea that fairies detest the metal. As Christianity grew in influence, children were protected through baptism or the presence of a Bible. Here we can see the sheer force of belief in the changeling myth. Fairies were not erased from the world, but rather transformed from neutral evil spirits into agents of the devil. Of course, not all kidnappings could be prevented. The following discussion will talk about child abuse and infanticide. If you want to avoid this content, skip to the next part of the episode. Exact times can be found in the show notes. Once children were suspected of being changelings, they were punished. In folklore, the parent who beats or burns a changeling child is often rewarded. The changeling reveals their ruse and the true child is returned. Reality was never quite as kind. Records exist of children being beaten to death, starved, neglected, drowned or tortured in horrifying ways. The changeling myth rationalized these acts. A child was not being punished, but an evil fairy. 
Reading through the accounts, I was often reminded of the ordeals witches faced during the witch hunts that terrorised Europe from around 1450 to 1750. As we now know, witches were merely women, and sometimes men, who were perceived as being different. Whether they were neurodivergent or suffered from physical disability, or even sometimes for the crime of sexuality, witches were turned from humans to evil beings. Just like with changelings, they were also tested through punishment. Torturing to confession was a common practice. Tests like water dunking, where innocent women drowned and witches who swam were nevertheless killed, are reflected in children thrown onto hot coals or hung in baskets over pyres. Those that died from their injuries were obviously changelings, so what was the harm? In fact, Joan of Arc was said to have danced at the fairy tree as a child, while fairy doctors, or women who could heal using herbs, sometimes just their touch, were also shown to have received their gifts from the unnatural. Half the women who burned at the stake died believing they were witches, just as the whole world seemed to think. There are also stories of children accused of being changelings dying in their beds from fear, knowing that they have to face brutal punishments in the days to come. The sad reality of the changeling conflicts with the happy tales of triumph over the fairy. Looking at these stories with an eye from the 21st century, it is clear that changelings were actually children with physical and developmental disabilities or neurodivergency. Perhaps those changelings described as wizened suffered from an aging disease like progeria, while those who were dumb, as in they were unable to speak, had nonverbal autism. Look at the word oaf. In the 1700s, it stemmed from the Norse word alf, and literally meant child of the elves, used to describe children with physical de deformities. To the men and women of the 1830s, however, there was no such rational explanation. Throughout our history, they lived in great fear of the changeling and the prospect of a child they refused to see as their own. The myth gave them something to blame, the unseen fairy attacking human life once more. It is important to acknowledge their verdant belief, even if we may find it ridiculous and horrifying now. So today I've got a couple of sm small stories about different things to do with changings, but it's two specific stories which are sometimes viewed as the same telling but from different places. One is uh, a telling for Kirkubrisha, and then one from the neighbouring Dumfries. Don't want to anger anyone from Dumfries, but I am from there, so I feel like I can say it. I think this really does reflect the different way a person from Kirkubri might say a story versus how someone in Dumfries might tell it. So... <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I'll let you be the decider on that one. So the Kukubri one's a really short paragraph, so I'll go into that one now. It's from Edwin Sidney Hartland's uh, The Science of Fairy Tales, which was published in 1891, one of the Victorians who really took a fascination in Scottish folklore. So he did some really good pieces, and both the pieces that I'm going to be mentioning today was in his book there. Going into the Kukubrisha one now. 
A Kirkubishire tale represents a child as once left in charge of a tailor, who commenced a discourse with him. Well, hear you your pipes, says the tailor. They're below my head, said the tenant of the cradle. Play me a spring, says the tailor. Like that, the little man jumped from the cradle, played round the room with great glee. A curious noise was heard meantime outside, and the tailor asked what it meant. The little elf called out, it's my folk wanting me, and away he fled up the chimney, leaving the tailor more dead than alive. So that's the little Kirkubusher paragraph that's known, he just disappears up the chimney. Not sure what the more dead than alive, it doesn't sound like he'd harmed the tailor in the original one, but it sounds a bit there. In Dumfries the story's told with a, a bit more vigour, and a lot more Scots. So I'll read the original story, or attempt to, and then I'll give an approximate translation of it underneath. The good wife goes to the humpback tailor and says, Wally, I'm on a way to dunce about my wab, and I didn't ken when to do with a bairn till I come back. You ken it's but a whinging, screaming, skirling willigid. But we mun bear with dispensations, and I would wuss ye, quoth she. Tuck tent till I come back hame, you still hear roosin' ingle and the blast of the goodman's tobacco pipe forby. Wally was nothing laith, and back they gaed together. Wally sat down at the fire, and away wi her yarn goes the gude wife. But scarce has she steek at the door, and one halfway down the close, when the bairn cocks up on its doop in the cradle, and rounds its Wally's lug. Wally Taylor, and ye winnie tell my mother, when she comes back, as play a bonny spring on the bagpipes. what Wally's heart was like a loop the hool, for Taylor she ken her eye timmersome, but he thinks himself, fair fashions are still best, and it's better to fleech fools than to flight with them. So he rounds again in the bairn's lug. Play up, my do, and he'll tell Nuori. With that the fairy ripes among t- cradle stray, and pulls it a pair of pipes. Sick as Taylor Wally ne'er had seen in his days. Mount it with ivory and gold and silver and diamonds, and what not. I didn't ken what the spring the fairy played, but this I ken well that Willie had nae great goo o' his performance. So he sits thinking to himself, This mun be a deal's get, old Wagonhorn himself may come to rock his son's cradle and play me some foul prank. So he catches the bairn by the cuff of the neck and whopped him into the fire, bagpipes and all. So the, the kind of word-for-word translation they did there was the woman of the house said to the hunchback tailor, well, I am going to dance about some cloth, and I don't know what to do with the baby while I'm away that crying and screaming and that we have to deal with. I ask you to calm her down, and if you keep her quiet until I come home, you shall have a roaring fire and a good sm- smoke of a pipe for it. Well, he wasn't averse, so they went back to the woman's house. Well, he sat down by the fire, and the woman went with her yarn to head to dance. Scarcely was she out the door when the baby sat up in his cradle and whispers in Willie's ear. Wally Taylor, if you don't tell my mother when she comes back, I'll play you a lovely tune on the bagpipes. Wally's heart was beating fast, for, as you know, tailors are easily startled people. However, he thought to himself, it's best to approach this calmly. It is often better to humour a fool than to argue with them. So, he whispers in the baby's ear, play up, child, and I'll tell no one. With that, the changeling baby raked among the straw and pulled out a set of bagpipes, the sight of which... Taylor Willie had never seen in all his days. They were mounted with ivory and gold, silver and diamonds. I don't know what song the changeling played, but this I know well. Willie was not great enthused by his performance, so he sat thinking to himself, 
This is the devil's child. The devil himself may come to rock his son's cradle and play some foul trick on me. So he caught the baby by the scruff of the neck and threw him into the fire, bagpipes and all. I like how abruptly that ends. Yeah, it was like <laughs> they were having a bit of banter back and forward, there's a bit of bagpipes going on, and then just off into the fire. I'm more concerned about what the woman's going to say when she comes back for Duns. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't have a kid anymore. And then, if this is the story that the tailor's sticking to, I mean... Just... <laughs> I, yeah. I did think that as well. And I also thought, when I was tra- going through translating, there was one bit I was stuck on, because I was like, I'm not sure... That's how that should translate. So I went through a few things because, to me, it seems like at the end it does say like he wasn't impressed by the performance, and then it makes it sound like maybe if he had been, he might have not thrown <laughs> it into the fire. Like it just sounds like a really harsh critic. So just... instead of thinking this child is a changeling, he was just like this child is really bad. Really at the bad bag on fight. the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to be a changeling; it's not to be a changeling. Who's not musically talented. I mean, that's the absolute minimum that we expect of changelings, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. This the changeling test, as they call it. It was interesting I found in that one as well that most of the changeling stories have some bit about like the mother being deceived and the baby being swapped out and everything. But that one doesn't really seem to mention it. Like, the mother's only briefly in it at the start and then it's all about the tailor in it. Yeah, and it doesn't also mention the baby being swapped back or, like, the fairies being duped and outsmarted or anything. No. It's just... And even in the Kirkubisher one, it was there and then it flew up the chimney rather than was burned in the flames, but mm-hmm. um, there was no mention of a, another baby coming back or what had really happened after or before to lead up to it, but I think they probably just liked the little Taylor line. Taylor seemed to have a good time of it in Scottish folklore. I wonder if it kind of has, I don't know, maybe a root in like a child who's been abducted, like left with a stranger and been abducted or something like that. Yeah, but I suppose with Dumfries they do like to spin a wild tale anyway. <laughs> um, and it was probably around about the time of like the big push of Christianity and things, so there was the, the typical thing of the changeling being shown the bad fairy aspect. Mm-hmm. So moving towards Christianity. And they were just probably pushing for any kind of old story you could come up with that shows that they're bad, we'll, we'll talk about them <laughs> once. Dumfries has quite a lot of the, that kind of aspect of folklore, and the idea of the kind of foolish tailor person, or the kind of fool in general, is quite popular in the folklore of the Southwest because you have like Tam O'Shanter and everything mm-hmm. is believed to have been based off of earlier stories as well because um, Robert Burns was really into the folklore of the kind of Ayrshire and Dumfriesshire, so, and he was influenced by that in a lot of his stuff, and mm-hmm. it very much focused around the kind of, well, the drunkard or the fool or that kind of idea. It was one of it's the the Taylor thing, you know. As you know, Taylors are easily startled people. I did, I did not know that. I did not know they had a right. Pe- I mean, I think people that are you know used to holding like needle and thread would not be easily startled people because that's dangerous. Yeah. yeah, I liked how matter of fact it was in the thing. I don't know whether it used to be common knowledge that Taylors were easily startled, <laughs> but yeah, it was a new one to me. <laughs> I can't say I know many Taylors to ask. So yeah, that's that is true. This is a story of the, the blacksmith and his son. Um, so a blacksmith and his teenage son, they worked together every day in their forge. Um, that, that all changed when one day the son falls mysteriously ill. 
even though he had a huge appetite, he'd never seem to get full. No matter how much he ate, he just got weaker and weaker. He was starting to look old and yellow. The smith was distraught at the idea of losing his boy. But as luck would have it, a wise old traveller had just arrived in the village. He often passed through, offering his words of wisdom. If anybody was going to know what his son was suffering from, it was going to be the traveller. Smith rushed to the village and begged the wise man for his help. With a known shake of his head, he told the smith that wasn't his son lying in the bed. It was a fairy changeling. To be sure of its identity, he had to pour water into dozens of empty eggshells, carry them around the room as if they were incredibly heavy, for placing them on the floor spread out. As the smith carefully carried out the instructions around his son's room, the figure in the bed bursts out laughing and cries, In all my 800 years, I've never seen anything as strange as that. And that was all the evidence the smith needed. Now certain this was a fairy changeling, he picked up the figure and he threw it into the fire. Just to confirm his suspicions, instead of screaming and burning like a human would have, the fairy shot up and away through the chimney into the night. The smith wasn't going to stop there, though. He wanted his child back. Naturally, he returned to ask the wise man for more advice. The local fairy hill was well known, but not all of it was usually visible to the human eye. Smith was to go to this hill on a specific night at a specific time where the entrance to the fairy kingdom would be open. All he had to take with him was a Bible, a little knife and a cockerel. As he approached the hill, the smith saw the glow of supernatural light coming from an entrance he'd never seen before. First step, stabbed the knife into the ground at the entrance to stop the hole from closing. Then, with the Bible in his hand as protection, he entered the hill to find his son slaving away over a forge. The smith was furious that his son had been enslaved and demanded that the fairies let the two of them leave together. The gathered crowd of fairies all looked at each other in silent confusion and then burst out laughing. Unfortunately for them, the sound of all that laughter just woke up the cockerel which starts crowing in the smith's arms. The fairies couldn't stand that awful sound, but the more they shouted at it, the louder the cockerel crowed. In the end, they threw the father, the son and the crowing cockerel back outside into the moonlight. The smith deftly grabbed his knife on the way out and the hillside went dark and quiet behind them. The story doesn't quite end there, though. The boy was never really the same after his experience in the fairy kingdom, but he refused to talk to his father or anybody about what had happened to him. One day, the boy had recovered enough from his ordeal to help out at the forge again. He saw the smith struggling to finish this sword. It was for a local noble with incredibly high standards, and it needed to be just perfect to boost the smith's reputation. With a sigh, the son told his father to step aside. Now, in no time at all, the boy had crafted the most elegant blade that the smith had ever seen. So it seems that during his time under the hill, the smith's son had picked up something useful from the fairies after all. I love that story. It's one I've read a few times. I think it was one of the kind of first pieces of folklore that I read when we started up Folklore Scotland. And and I think it was one of the first stories that I put on the website as well, Mm -hmm. that one. And I've always loved it. It Just because it had such a a narrative through the whole thing as well. It wasn't like a lot of Scottish folklore with the clips. It was a proper Mm -hmm. full, full tale. It is like a proper story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. A lot. I, I've heard a lot of folklore just sort of it stops halfway through. You never really find out what happens to somebody, yeah. like that one from you know Kirkubri, uh, where it's just you know what, what happened. Like they, you know you chuck the fairy in the fire and then what? 
It just sounds like something that somebody's like mentioned to the next door neighbor. Oh, did you hear that Jimmy down the way he threw a fairy in the fire the other day? Like it doesn't have the. Whereas this one's got the full. Like, it's a proper story, and uh, that's one of the things I love about it. It's got a proper resolution as well. Like, it doesn't just end with, oh, he got his son back, hooray. And I like it's got the little comical element as well, the eggshells thing. I, think, <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I like how, I like how that's the test of uh, <laughs> the fairies. Basically, it's try and make them laugh, because everybody knows that fairies love a good laugh. <laughs> I also like how, um, I think it's interesting how, like, a lot of the changeling stories, it because it's trying to explain children that are maybe born with disabilities and it's trying to explain it by saying oh it's been swapped with a fairy and then it kind of it's told as almost a hope for the parents to be able to be able to get their actual child back their healthy child back um but in this one he actually comes back from like he gets his son back from the world of the fairies but he's like it says that he was never the same after coming back as well um which feels like a kind of slight kind of diversion from the usual which is quite interesting well, it's, I think it's different like I don't know many other stories where a changeling is like a teenage boy or like you know some like you know you get it's usually either babies or mothers and they're there for a reason it's you know the fairies need them as servants or the mothers to breastfeed their you know it's like a, fresh, a new mother to breastfeed the fairy children so yeah, it's weird that this one's sort of somewhere in the middle. But at least, you know, it's clear they needed him for a reason. It is odd that it's that one, because all the other ones that I've read, apart from that one, it's always been children or, as you say, mothers. And that one is, it has a kind of distinction there. But it was around the... That was one that I think was written about the same time as all these other ones, so it wasn't a kind of evolution of the story style change. It seemed like it was kind of contemporary with the ones that were all babies and mothers and things like that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like this one as well because it has more specific like people like the Lord of Almaki and it's got um, I think it was like Crossbrig and Eiley or somewhere like that that the actual story was meant to have taken place so it has the kind of the tangible links as well as the, yeah. the kind of untangible story so and I always like tricking a fairy when when the people win in the end you're always happy in those stories <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> off the top of my head is there not um is it like the baby is most vulnerable to fairies and like being swapped for a changeling up until it's christened or like up until it's first birthday? I think that's one of the things was christened is tends to be I think there is one of the stories I read was that they had to I think it was Russian to the priest or whatever because if it was christened then the the fairy couldn't get them. Yeah. And then I think there was one of them that used like a kind of christening idea as they were going to christen a changeling and from that it fled. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so in which case is linked with that kind of thing keeping in with that um, kind of tradition clearly the boy was never christened maybe yeah, could be skipped his christening yeah I suppose the fairies two big weaknesses are one's iron which is I you know a sort of very I don't know if pagan's the right word, but you know what I mean. It's you know like touch the cross and you know t- sorry touch the hammer and, and things like that. And then the other side is God because they're unholy creatures. Um, yeah. So it's always the word of God or the Bible, like he carries the Bible in to protect him. The story's about um, trying to protect changeling babies from 
you know, sorry, babies from being stolen and replaced with changelings is like hanging an iron poker above the crib, which sounds very dangerous. And and like people still, like I, I have heard things, people, superstitious people still put like a wee pin in like a, a bairn's bonnet to, you know, before, I guess probably before it's christened to protect it. It's just occurred to me that we are moving in age order, changeling-wise. We've had the baby, um, we've had the teenage boy, and now we're going to have the Laird of Balmache's wife, who is an adult, um, who was swapped for a changeling. So, here we go. Hundreds of years ago, in a land not so far away from Dundee, the Laird of Balmache was looking after his wife, after she had suddenly fallen very ill. One day, he had to attend to business in Dundee and left his wife in the care of a nursemaid. Returning late into the evening, the laird was anxious to get home and diverted from his usual path, taking a shortcut through the Car Hills by Carlungi. Riding along the paths, he suddenly noticed a group of fairies who were hurrying, carrying someone on a stretcher. In an effort to rescue their captive, the laird drew his sword and threatened the fairies. This scared them away. They dispersed, leaving the stretcher behind. The laird sheathed his sword and proceeded to walk over to the stretcher. Shocked, he discovered the woman the fairies were carrying was his wife. She was still wearing her nightgown and was shivering cold. However, most astoundingly, the laird noticed she was no longer sick and seemed to be back to her normal self. Still overcome with the shock of what just happened, the laird and his wife continued on their journey home, relieved to be reunited safely once more. Upon arrival at their home, the laird carried his wife to a spare room and requested one of the maids help her get cleaned up. The laird proceeded to the bedchambers, where he was stunned to find his sick wife still in bed as she was that morning, pale and weathered. She complained that she was cold and ignored the laird's suggestion to get warmed up by the fire. Suspicious of her behaviour, the laird realised she was not his wife but had been replaced by a fairy changeling. Panicked, he picked her up and threw her into the fire. As soon as the hot flames touched her skin, the fairy flew up into the air, creating a hole in the ceiling and roof, and disappearing into the night. The next day, now rested and feeling more herself, the laird's real wife explained what had happened. During his last trip to Dundee, she was home alone and recalled being swarmed by a group of fairies who kidnapped her and drugged her, making her unable to escape or call for help. The only other thing she remembered was lying on the stretcher the night the laird rescued her. A changeling had taken over her life and they were going to keep her captive. Although the fairies never returned to the home of the laird and his wife, the hole that the fairy had created when she escaped the fireplace was said to crack open every year, always accompanied by a haunting chill in the air. That's it. The laird catches her out with all her pals in the middle of the hills. And she's like, quick, everybody run. Just pretend you're a fairy. I like how it was a team of fairies that time as well. I wonder if it, I wonder if they normally work in teams to steal the people. I suppose like for squads. A, a woman they probably would do. I don't know what size they normally are. I'd heard something, I don't know, I can't remember where I heard this, or if it's even true, that basically stories about fairies started off with, you know, the Fianna, you know, like uh, Finn McCool and all that, and they were giants, and as the stories got told, they all got smaller and smaller and smaller, and fairies, they became the fairies, and then the fairies got smaller and smaller until they're like Tinkerbell size now, and that's what everybody thinks of. In, you know, a common theme seems to be people going up the chimney, mm-hmm. and escaping up the chimney. Yeah. I wonder why it is all the the fire thing seems to be, I think, 
There must be some sort of cultural link as to what's significant about a fire. But the weird thing is that, like, all, so all the stories that we've told, the changeling has been a fairy. But the other thing I've heard is that, you know, it can just be a log or a group of sticks enchanted to look like, you know, the, the human. So I wonder if that's where the fire part comes in, that all I do is you throw it on a fire and it turns back into a log. But it's been, like, mixed. I don't know if there'll be something just about like the safety of the hearth anyway as well. Probably some cultural element to that. It's oh. the home. It's the yeah, the family unit. Folklore Scotland podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. You can visit our website at www.folklorescotland.com. If you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also find all of our social media links and a complete list of sources for today's topics in the show notes. Your hosts this week were Rebecca, David, Graham and Rasheen, and thanks to Mila for your research behind the scenes. Huge thanks also to Lindley for providing this episode's artwork, and you can find Lindley's website and social media in the show notes as well. The music this week was Celtic Impulse by Kevin MacLeod. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.